You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are thrilled that you're here with us. Happy Mother's Day. So uh, to get started, I've got to show you three pictures so that you understand the conversation that I was having with my family uh, one night over dinner. So here is the picture. And uh, if you're not aware of what this is, you and I probably can't be friends. But um, so all the way to the left is R2-D2. Um, in the middle is BB-8 from the newer Star Wars films. All the way to the right is Chopper from the lesser known but completely awesome uh, Star Wars Rebels animated series. So we're having this conversation at dinner one night, and I say to my kids, if you could only pick one droid, R2, BB-8, or Chopper, which would it be? Well, my kids, are, they just they love all of them, and they're like, I don't know, I can't decide. And, and Mia, my oldest, is the most vocal, and she's like, Dad, I don't understand. Why would you even ask us a question like that? That's like asking, who do you love more, mom or dad? And, and, and Livy hears that, and she says, oh, that's easy. I choose mom. And, uh, and Mia says, Livy, you, you can't say that. You can't choose between mom or dad. She says, Mia, it's not hard. Look, look, I choose mom. See, I'm choosing mom right now. See, I'm pointing at her. And so, and, my, and Mia is mortified. And at our dining room table, she sits next to me. And, um, and she just, she leans over and she puts her hand on mine. And she's like, dad, I'm so sorry about this. And uh, so a couple weeks later, we did this little Easter egg hunt. Uh, at our house for the kids, and uh, inside the uh, eggs were little coupons for all kinds of different things, but one of the things that the kids got was 30 minutes of alone time with mom or dad, and so one was 30 minutes with dad, the other's 30 minutes with mom, and Livy, Miss I Choose Mama, that's an easy question, she traded both her brother and her sister so she could have 90 minutes just with her dad. And, uh, right, isn't that sweet? That's very sweet. And, and you might say, what did you do? Um, and it was it a new parenting technique? And, and the answer is no. Um, a couple days before, I surprised my kids with breakfast from Chick-fil-A, and those little hash browns that they serve for breakfast are my youngest daughter's love language, and um, she just can't, can't resist them. And so, and the point is, is that you, you could be six nuggets and an order of waffle fries away from a better relationship with your children. I'm trying to pitch this commercial to Chick-fil-A, which just, it's just a back, black backdrop, and it's just me and my daughter uh, in the commercial. And she says, I used, to only model, I used to only mildly tolerate my dad. Then he bought me four chicken minis. Now I love him. And then we both say, thanks, Chick-fil-A. So that's what I'm trying to do, but they won't return my calls. And, uh, but the moral of the story, the moral of the story is, is that things can get better. And we all want things to get better. And it really doesn't matter how good things are. You could have a good marriage right now and you just want it to be better. Everybody wants it to be better. You could have um, a great relationship with your kids and, and you, want it, you want it to be better. We always want it to be better. And the challenge that we face, especially when things aren't so good, is we want things to get better, but we aren't sure when it's going to happen. And we find ourselves kind of in this state of limbo between the way things used to be and the way we things want to be we, we want things to be and we're kind of stuck in in the middle and it's kind of like when you um you're driving with your kids to disney world and they they find themselves in that state and they ask a question all the time my kids always ask this one question when we're driving and it's always like dad how can we serve you on this trip right no they've never asked that they're like are we there yet and, uh, and, and, and last time we went to Disney World, my kids were asking, hey, Dad, um, are we there yet? We hadn't even gotten past Pines Boulevard. And my kids, and I was saying, like, guys, you, we could literally still see our house from here. So we're, how, how would you think that we're a place that's four hours away? So when you see a castle and very overpriced food, that's how you know we're there. All right? And so the challenge is, is that, and we've all been in that place, right? We all find ourselves in that place at different times in life where we, where we know where we want to go and we aren't where we used to be, but we find ourselves kind of in, in the middle, in the meantime, in the waiting room. And 
One of the things that I've learned in, in my life, and one of the things that I want to spend some time talking about today, is that the growth in your life, just like the growth in my life, usually doesn't come at the fulfillment of the promise. Instead, the growth in our lives takes place um, in the middle. You see, it's in the middle that you become the person who can handle the promise when the promise is fulfilled. And that's why the waiting season is always a tough season. It's because it's a growing season. And it's the promise has been made, but it hasn't yet been fulfilled. And this is what happens in your marriage when your spouse apologizes and they say they're going to change. And now, and you forgive them, but now you're like, okay, well, this is where we were starting, but I, when are we going to get to the place where the actual change takes place? It, it, it's what happens when your kids are acting up and then your friends tell you it's just a phase and you're like, yeah, this phase has been going about 15 years. I need to turn the page and, uh, and, and, and it hasn't happened yet. And it also happens when we embrace the promises of God in our lives and then we say, okay, uh, God, I'm trusting you, but we haven't seen the fulfillment of the promise as of yet. And that is the case for the couple that we're going to look at in our time together. This couple, um, Abraham and Sarah, are the most famous couple in Judaism. And Abraham is the father of faith. Throughout the Bible, he's modeled for us as the father of faith, always an example of what it means to be a faithful believer. Sarah is the model for women of what a godly woman, a godly wife, a godly mom is. And what's amazing to me is that they struggled in that same season that we struggle with as well. They struggled in the waiting room just like the rest of us. They believed the promises, but they found themselves struggling, kind of waiting out to see the promise be fulfilled. And see, what was the promise that God made them? And if you're newer to the Bible, uh, the promise that God made them was that even though they were an older couple, God was going to give them a child. And, and not only that, uh, that through their offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed because of their kids. And what, that's a pretty big promise. But the problem is they don't have any kids yet. And then the other issue is, is that at 75 years old, is when Abraham gets this promise, which you're like, all right, he's, on, he's, he's a little older. And then 10 years later, it still hasn't happened, and God repeats the promise. And so we'll see it up in, uh, here in chapter 15. He says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, look, uh, you've given me no offspring, and indeed one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Now, this is an amazing passage. It's an amazing passage about Abraham believing God even before anything had happened. He trusted and believed that it was going to happen. But here's the thing that's important. He got the promise. That's good. 10 years later, God repeats the promise, and it's going to be another 15 years before the promise is fulfilled. And here's the question uh, that, that we ask, and it's the same question that um, is all of us are asked when we find ourselves in between the giving of the promise and the fulfillment of the promise, we ask this question of why. And what I want to present to you today as we talk about this idea of a home is, is that, and what we're going to talk about, by the way, is a lot easier to hear than it is to live out. But it is absolutely vital for us to live out if we want to be wise and if we want to avoid the pitfalls of life. And that is that we have to recognize that there is a perspective that we don't see. That if God loves us and desires the very best for us, if there is a delay, that means that there is something at work that we simply do not know or understand. It's something we just don't see. And that's what I want to show you in the life of this couple as they wait for God to deliver the promise. So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 21. And uh, we start in verse 1. Here's what we read. It says, And the Lord visited Sarah... As he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. 
For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, um, three things we're going to look at. The first is this, is that the promises of God are true even when there's a delay. The promises of God are true even when there's a delay. I want you to notice in the verses that we read, twice it says that God did as he had spoken. That God had planned to work in their lives. And, and what happens is, God had this plan, he was going to work, and then there was a delay. And during that delay, when they found themselves waiting for the fulfillment of the promise, there was a challenge, and that is, do we wait for God to do what he said he was going to do, even though it's taking a seemingly long time, or do we kind of help God out? And this is exactly what ends up happening in Abraham's life, is that he decides that he's going to help God out because he can't have a child with Sarah. And so they thought, hey, we have this idea of how to get this uh, going. And uh, let, me, let me read it to you. This is out of, so he gets the promise in chapter 15. Look what happens in chapter 16. It says, now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, see, now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid and perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Sarah said, honey, there is no way that I'm going to have sex with another woman. Um, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't, quite, doesn't quite say that. It's weird. Um, it doesn't even say he put up any kind of fight. It's just like, well, honey, if that's what you think is best, I'll take one for the team. Um, and so it says, uh, and Abram heeded the voice of his wife. And then Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her uh, to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And Abram had, uh, after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan, and he went into Hagar, and she conceived. Now, I know some of you know this story, and that's awesome. And there's some of you who've never read this story, and you're like, I can't even believe that's in the Bible, and, uh, which is great. So, but just by, if you've never read, just by reading this part of the story, is anybody thinking, I bet you this story has a very happy ending, right? <laughs> Nobody, right? And you don't even have to be like the Bible champion in 1973 to know that. You just need to have been in the world for 15 minutes to know that like, this is not going to end well. And it didn't end well. It was a total disaster. Hagar ends up having a, a child, a, a, a boy whose name is Ishmael. And, uh, and that was from the moment that that child was born, uh, after Isaac was born, there was hostility between the two of them, not even throughout their lives, but even through their descendants to this day. Uh, the Arab nations are descended from Ishmael. The Jewish nation descended from Isaac, and things aren't good even today. And so, but this is what happens, right? When we decide to buck against the waiting season and say, what is God doing in me to make me ready for the fulfillment of the promise that he's given me? And, 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 you, and, you know, we might be thinking like, oh, I would never do that. I'd never do that if I were them. Here's the truth. We constantly do that. And that's the challenge. We constantly do it um, because a lot of times we are them. And it's just, it's human nature. And so, uh, and, and, and this thing is, what we're trying to do is, there's this pain of waiting. And what we're trying to do is do something that eliminates the pain of waiting, not realizing that it actually ends up compounding the pain that we feel. So, in, uh, just to use a rather disgusting illustration, um, years and years ago, I had this ingrown toenail. And you're like, I'm so glad I came to church just for that beginning sentence. Um, but I had this ingrown toenail where my toe swelled up to about the size of my fist. And it, was, it hurt so much, I could barely walk. I couldn't even wear shoes. And so, instead of going to the doctor, which is what my wife said, you need to go see a doctor, I said, no, what I'm going to do, I can fix this. So, I get all of my tools together. And uh, so I have, you know, some clippers and I have the scissors and I have, you know, some uh, cotton balls and, and some rubbing alcohol. And I just, and I'm just trying to dig the nail out, right? So you're, you're already feeling the pain for me. And I want you to know, I appreciate that. And so, but what happens is, and so I try to dig in to get this thing out. I almost passed out in the bathroom from my own um, madness. And so trying to do this, and eventually, because I just made matters worse, which by the way, it was way more painful, and I did not fix the problem. And so what happens is, is that I end up going to a, 
podiatrist uh, up in Coral Springs, and um, who, by the way, was very good. And uh, so I go see him, and I explain to him what's happening. So then, I don't know if you've ever been to a podiatrist, but they have this chair that you sit in, and then they have this little, uh, a little stand, and it has like a curtain, because they don't, they don't let you see your own feet when they're working on you. So they just put the little curtain up, and then when you're done, they just like part the curtain. It's like, what are we even doing this little presentation for? Anyway, so, but that's just what, that's just what they do. And uh, at least that's what they did, you know, 100 years ago when this happened. Um, and so... Anyway, so I get there, and the guy was very good. The only thing is, is that um, he sounded exactly like Randy Macho Man Savage. And uh, if you don't know who that is, I'm sorry that your life is the way it is. And, uh, and so, but Randy Macho Man Savage was a fantastic pro wrestler. Um, but so he comes in, and uh, he has me, he's like, uh, all right, uh, and, and take off your, uh, you know, take off your shoe and sock. Uh, so I take off my shoe, take off my sock, and he comes in, and he says... Oh, yeah. See, somebody did a little bathroom surgery. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, sorry. He's like, oh, it's all right. Everybody does it. Problem is, twice as painful, and it don't fix nothing. So he's giving me that whole thing, and then, and then uh, you know, he's like, snap into a Slim Jim. Anyway, so he's doing that whole thing, and then... He finally cuts the thing out, and after the whole thing, then he parts the curtain, you know, and this whole... So, but here's the thing, right? And this, this is really the thing that we have to understand, is that um, the, sometimes the thing when we are in the season of waiting, that we are trying to stop the pain, ends up compounding the pain. And this is the challenge, is that, and, and the, because the reason is, just because God gave you a promise does not mean that you are ready to handle the promise or receive it. What God is giving you when he gives you a promise, he's giving you a vision of the future. And during this season, we've got to stop only asking, well, God, when is this thing going to happen? Are we there yet? But instead, now we've got to say, God, what is the work that you need to do in me for me to be ready to receive the promise that, that you have for me? Because the promise is useless to us unless we can handle it. And so when the way, listen, when we, and this, if you will get this, this will transform you. When you decide that the waiting season isn't a just about obtaining the promise. It's about growing towards the promise and being able to steward the promise. That now, listen, the moment you decide that the waiting room is now the training room, time is no longer wasted. It's a season of preparation. And that fundamentally will change you. And what happens when you're walking through a season of waiting? Well, he goes on in verse three and he says this, he says, and Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah born to him, Isaac. And then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, and God, as God had commanded him. If you pause there and give me your attention. Uh, if the first thing that we said was that the promises of God are true, even if there's still a delay, the second thing is, is that the goodness of God will work in me even when I doubt. Now, uh, how many of you are parents? Can I ask that? Okay, a lot of you. And I'm grateful because this would be a very weird service if there weren't any parents in the room on Mother's Day. So, how, why, how was your Mother's Day services? Oh, it's great. No parents, though. Uh, it would have been weird. But anyway, but you know this to be the case if you are a parent, that you agonized over the names of your kids. I don't know of any parent that's just like, oh, we were just flipping through a book and we saw one. Like, oh, that must be good. Uh, and, right? Most people agonized over the names of their kids. My wife and I agonized over the names of our three kids. The easiest one was my daughter Mia because she was first and we, it took my wife and I, if you're not aware, um, 10 years to have our first child. And so there was this promise that God keep, kept giving to us over the course of 10 years, which was in the, um, it's a passage from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and that is uh, that uh, my grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made perfect in weakness. That was the passage that God gave us. And so when we got, um, when I say we got pregnant, I mean mostly my wife. Um, but when, we, when our first daughter was born, we decided to name her Mia Grace because my grace is sufficient uh, for you. And so when my son Xander was born, we, we wanted to call him Xander, but we were kind of struggling with, do we call him, name him after me, which is Robert Alexander, or... Uh, do we name him Alexander Robert? Because we knew we were going to call him Xander. And, and I said to my wife, and I'm like, I don't know how I feel. And I feel like we're going to confuse this kid with giving him a first name that we don't use. 
and then a middle name where we only use part of the name. And I said, and then the other thing is, if we name him Ronald Alexander, I'm going to be very upset if people start calling him Bob and, uh, because I should only have to suffer that. And so anyway, so that was kind of the, the conversation. And by the way, the only time Xander ever gets called Bob is when Mia gets upset with him. And she'll be like, Bob? And he's like, don't. Anyway, so that's just when she's really trying to, you know. So, um, so I'm like, I don't know what to do uh, about calling him by his middle name. And, and I said all of this because I have a friend named Kelly who I've been friends with for more than 25 years. And I was in his office one day, we worked together, and uh, I, I found out, and he was telling me, and I said, hey, you always sign your name N. Kelly. What does that mean? And he's like, oh, because my name's not Kelly. And I'm like, whoa, what? And he says, yeah, my, my name is actually Norman. And I'm like, what? I'm like, how long have we known each other? And I didn't know, anyway, so I leave, and I go see a friend of mine whose name is Carl, that we work together too. And so I say to him, and I say, I go in there, and I'm like, Carl, you're never going to believe this. Now, he's known Kelly longer than I have, and I'm like, I'm going to blow this guy's mind. And I'm like, Kelly, uh, Carl, you're never going to believe this. Kelly's name isn't actually Kelly. He says, no, it's Norman. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'm the last one to know. And he goes, you know, it's funny, my name isn't actually Carl. And I'm like, shut up. And he goes, yeah. He pulls out his driver's license, and he goes, look, it's Marvin. And I'm like, what? And so, okay, so I leave the office that day, and I'm driving home, and I call a friend of mine, uh, one of my best friends, his name is Dan, and uh, he pastors a church up in Jupiter. And uh, so I, I say to, um, I'm like, Dan, you're never going to believe this, but I was in Kelly's office today. His name is not Kelly. He goes, no, his name's Norman. And I'm like, okay, I'm the only person who didn't know that. Fine. And he's like, and I said, but I, also, I went down to tell Carl that. And Carl said, my name isn't Carl. My name's actually Marvin. And he's like, yeah, I knew that. And I'm like, okay. And then he says, do you want me to blow your mind? <laughs> okay. He says, my name's not Dan. And I'm like, what? He goes, no, my name's actually Donald. Uh, but then people started calling me Don, and I didn't really like Don. And then when someone said, is it Don or Dan? I said, it's Dan, and that's how I've been Dan now for 50 years. And I'm thinking, like, I don't know you people at all. You can't just come up with a random name after 20 years of friendship. And so, and then I, I did it to my son anyway. Um, and, so, and, and so anyway, poor kid. Um, with, with, our, with our daughter, Livy, I'll tell you this and then I'll move on, but um, we had no idea what we were going to name her because Carrie got pregnant and we only had a boy name. We found out it was a girl and then we went seven months going back and forth. We could not figure out a name uh, for, uh, for Livy and we were stuck. And the reason is, and you know this, when you are naming your kids, every other person that you've known in your life becomes a factor into that, and, right? It's like, Hey, um, what do you think of this name? Oh, no, I knew somebody in college like that. No way. It ain't going to turn out like them. Not on my watch, right? And so, and then, and then you're like, well, hey, what about this name? Like, no, you know, I dated a guy, you know, named that. Or what, what about this girl? No, no, I knew a girl with that, right? And so I thought, so this was my thing, is I said, what do you think of the name Jacqueline? So that, I was pushing for Jacqueline, and, uh, and I thought we could call her Jacqueline, name her Jacqueline, call her Jax, which I think is a super cute nickname, and, my, and it was a no-go because my wife was like, no, they're gonna, if we call, name her Jacqueline, they're going to call her Jackie. And I knew a girl in middle school named Jackie who was crazy. And I'm like, okay. And, and, and I also knew a Jackie in high school, and she was crazy. So, I was, and that, so that name was out. And uh, by the way, if your name is Jackie, well, you know. So, so, <laughs> sorry, it's all in good fun. Jackie, you might not understand that right now. So, it's all like, <clears throat> I'm sorry. So, so anyway, so we landed on Olivia and then uh, we were like, well, what's the middle name going to be? And I mean, we were at like the baby shower where we're going to print stuff. And we're like, well, we don't have, what other names do we have? Well, the only other name that we have is, is Grace because that's Mia's middle name. Like, that's it. It's the only other approved name. And that's because we ran out of time. And uh, so w once again, 
There's always this backstory as to why you name your kids what you name your kids. So why does Abraham and Sarah, why do they name their son Isaac? Because Isaac means laughter. And by the way, when I say Isaac means laughter, it doesn't mean like, oh, <laughs> it's not like a little chuckle. I, laughter, I mean, this is the kind of laughter, like, it's like naming someone hilarious. Uh, it, it, is, it is a laugh. You're laughing so hard until you're crying. And, and you've had those moments. I, the other day I was driving uh, with my family. My wife said something that was so funny. And my wife is hilarious, but she said something that was so funny. I was laughing so hard, I pulled a muscle in my side. And I don't know if I have ever said anything more middle-aged than I was laughing so hard, I pulled a muscle. And uh, so anyway, but I did. And so I'm driving our car, and I'm, and I'm like, kind of leaning in because I've got this muscle pull and it hurts. And so the problem is when, when you're, if you ever do this sometime when you're driving, you just kind of go like this. You know what happens when you're holding the wheel and you kind of go like this? You start turning on, in, a, in a two-lane road. So I'm swerving off the road, right? And, and there's, um, you know, and, and I, I'm glad I almost got into an accident, but I didn't. And then I can't even imagine what would have happened if I had. And like, you know, Pastor Bob died. Yeah. What was it? Was it Corona? No, he died laughing. Oh, wow. You know, it's just weird. So, but why do you name, why do you name a child laughter? Why do you name a child hilarious? Because it's a response to the promise that was given. In fact, look at uh, in Genesis 17, after the whole thing with Hagar, God says, and I will bless her and also give you a son by her. And I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Abraham laughs, amazed at what God is going to do. He believes it. And he thinks, listen, this is hilarious. It is hilarious that God is going to do this, that God in his power is going to be so gracious to us. And um, Sarah responds differently. In Genesis 18, God is giving the promise once again, and it says this. You'll see it on the screen or in your notes. He says, and he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life, and behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And then parenthetically, we got this. And Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah also laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, uh, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Saying, Surely I will bear a child since I am old. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. So, she is in the other room. And by the way, I don't, when you think about a tent, this is not like drywall or concrete. This is a tent. So there's like a piece of cloth in between rooms here. And so she hears this and she laughs. And then he's like, why did she laugh? And my favorite part is, is that then Sarah responds like, not, she's not even eavesdropping well. And that she's like, I didn't laugh. And they're like, no, you did laugh. And she's like, I, I, I'm not listening. You know, which I think is hilarious. Uh, I, I, it's so great. And, and by the way, I mean, so she's, she's responding to a conversation she's not even part of. And by the way, but truth be told, if God is in your house and having a conversation with your spouse, you'd be eavesdropping too. I know I would. I'd be creating excuses to walk in the room. I'd be like, Abraham, I'm sorry. Do you know what the Wi-Fi password is? Uh, the, honey, we don't have Wi-Fi. Oh, that's right. Dial up. That's right. And, uh, and sorry about that. Oh, Lord, how are you? And, uh, and so now... We talk a lot about faith, which makes sense, right? We're at church. We talk a lot about God's kingdom. If this were a tire kingdom, we'd probably talk about other things, all right? But what, what can happen is, is that we start to think about faith as a feeling, or we think about faith as intellectually uh, understanding something, or we talk about faith as we have to have faith in faith, which that part makes no sense to me. Um, faith is always a response, Faith in, in, in essentially is trust. Faith is confidence to act. It's confidence to step out, that we believe God enough to take a step in his direction. In the book of Hebrews, in the famous chapter on faith, Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews says, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now there's two powerful truths that are being shared here. 
One is that he says that you believe that God is, that you believe that God exists. And we're like, oh, well, I got that. I believe God exists. Okay, but it's a little deeper than that. You see, if you've ever been in part of a group and you've felt like maybe you've had this experience where um, you've been part of a group and you've been ignored and you say, you know what? They act like I don't even exist. And the problem is it wasn't that they didn't believe you existed. It's that they didn't believe that you mattered. And those are two different things. You see, when you decide, and this is, the, this is the thrust of what the verse is saying, when you believe that God matters in any area of your life, faith will dictate that you will defer what your opinion is for God's wisdom, and you will move forward based on what it is that he tells you to do. And this is true in every area of your life. If you decide that I'm gonna, you're going to ignore God in your marriage or act like God doesn't really matter in your marriage, it's not that you're saying God doesn't exist. It's you're saying, I've decided to do this part of my life this way. And this is true in every area of your life, is that whenever you decide, if you want to please God, you have to decide that God matters in this area of life. The second thing, the second thing that he says is you have to believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The reality, though, is in this idea of the word diligently seeking him is that a lot of times that's not how we seek God. A lot of times is that for us, it's like what, you know, seeking God is we just, oh, yeah, I prayed. I prayed that one time. You know, oh, I called somebody. But here's what the psalmist would say when it comes to seeking God. You'd say this in Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. The thing about that's interesting to note is that a panting deer isn't a deer that's thirsty. A panting deer is a deer that is about to die of thirst. And David, the psalmist, is saying, in the same way that a deer who is about to die searches for water, that's going to be my attitude towards seeking you. Now listen, I'm going to tell you what I've noted in talking to thousands of people over the years and what I've observed from noting my own bizarre behavior at times over the course of my life is that sometimes we get into a jam and we seek God once. We get into a jam and we pray once. Something happens and we seek out wise counsel once. That is not seeking God diligently. That is checking off a box. What, what the psalmist is saying is when you seek God the way you would seek just the most basic thing like water, and if you don't get it, you're going to die. That level of drive, that level of diligence is what, is, is being, is what he's saying is that kind of seeking is what the, the uh, writer of Hebrews is saying. That's the kind of faith that God rewards. A couple of weeks ago, I decided to take a day off from my eating plan, and uh, I don't like the term cheat day. I don't like to be associated with the word cheating. And uh, it's probably because I'm a New England Patriots fan, and we like to keep things on the up and up. And, uh, wow, a lot of hostility in the room. We need the people of God to stand up for righteousness. Anyway, so, but I decided to take the day off, and I wanted some uh, Reese's Pieces, which are my, hands down, my favorite candy ever. And, um, and if you don't know what Reese's Pieces are, maybe you just got here from Cuba. And um, Reese's Pieces are like M&Ms, except... They are filled with peanut butter, uh, which are just amazing. So anyway, now I have a secret stash in my house of Reese's Pieces. Unfortunately, my two younger children, who think that they're some kind of detective, um, they found my secret stash and wiped it out. So I told my wife that I'm going to go to the store, pick up a couple of items that she needed me to get for her, amongst other things. And she's like, Bob, you're tired. Don't worry about it. We'll go tomorrow. And I'm like, care? No. It's really my pleasure, and I think it's important. You should never put off until tomorrow what could be done today, right? A wise man said that, whoever that was. And so, um, so I, and she's like, okay, wow. So I go, and I have my list. I'm really there just for Reese's Pieces. But I get to Publix, and they are sold out. Now, I got to pick up all this dumb stuff I told my wife that I was going to get, which I don't even want to do. I just needed an excuse to get to Publix. And so, and some of the stuff that she asked for was frozen. So now I'm on the clock because you know how it is. And, 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 you know, if you're an adult, you know that if you go, if you have several things to do, you always get the frozen stuff last because you're, you're, you know, you have a limited amount of time before you, you get home and things start to melt. But I have to make an emergency stop at Walgreens because they were sold out. So I get all the stuff, 
pack it as well as I can, and then I go to Walgreens, which was down the street, and they have it in stock. So I grab two bags, one for now and one to replenish my new secret stash, which I will never reveal the location of. And so now the problem is I get the stuff, and the line is crazy long, and there's one guy working the register. And you know how it is. And then, you know, and then the customers, it's like, don't even get me started on these customers. Asking questions that don't matter. Hey, what time are you guys open till? You're not coming back today. Why do you care? Anyway, like, hey, praise the Lord. You know, so, um, so I'm just, I'm waiting in line and this is taking forever. I got, all, uh, and then I, what I don't want is my wife to text me like, hey, what's taking so long? Like, no, I'm just finishing things up. So anyway, so. What seems like an eternity, I finally get to the front. And I've already got, and I'm like, hey, dude, this is all that I want. How much is it? And the guy's like, whoa, hold on, bro. And apparently this guy had been smoking weed since 7 a.m. And because uh, he was very relaxed. And he's like, whoa, man, slow down. Do you have a Walgreens reward card? And I'm like, dear Lord, okay. And I'm like, sir, is it possible that in the year of our Lord, 2022, can I buy some candy without being roped in to another reward card situation? <laughs> Turns out the answer to that question was no. And uh, it wasn't a bad deal. I did sign up for it real quick. And, uh, and so, finds an email address. You know, so it goes, and so finally, I, I pay for the thing. And then I, I, dry, I get my semi frozen stuff, because I, I, I would gotten to the point where, you ever get to the point where your frozen stuff starts turning a weird shape? And that's kind of where I was living in that. And, here, and here's my point, right? If we would start seeking God the, the way that we sought our snacks, it would be more diligent than the way we seek God sometimes. Because here, here's my point, is that if we would seek him diligently, I mean, we are going out of our way. I don't want to make one move until I know exactly what God wants me to do. You know what would happen? The promise that Jeremiah 29, 13 gives us, if you seek me with all of your heart, you'll find me. We would experience that. And you know what else would happen? That we would seek him diligently and he would reward us accordingly. Because that's what real faith prompts us to do, to trust him and to step well, verse 5. Here's where we're going to bring it to a close. He says this, Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. And she also said, And who would have thought, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, for I have borne him a son in his old age. And if you pause there and give me your attention, last thing I want to tell you, is that the faithfulness of God will allow me to enjoy the fulfilled promise. Now, um, let me explain it this way. My, my wife is the best chef I've ever known, and she's amazing. Uh, when I met her, I weighed 180 pounds, and now I do not. And um, in fact, four years ago, I weighed 280 pounds. And I'm not saying that my wife made me fat. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that her cooking was not encouraging me to be skinny. All right? Because that, but you know, that level of knowledge, my wife can turn anything into a, a great meal. Anything. She's like the MacGyver of cooking. And so, but that level of knowledge has problems. Because when my wife goes to a restaurant, the way that I order from a restaurant, it's probably the way you order from a restaurant. You scan the items and then you pick one, right? That's kind of how most people have been ordering from menus since, you know, the beginning of time. And so I scan the menu. I'm like, oh, that looks good. That looks good. And then it always comes down to the same thing. I can have a protein and a salad. And so, because I'm not allowed to have any joy in my life. That's what I have, a protein and a salad. And so, anyway, my wife scans the menu, and she is able to discern something totally different. She says, oh, I like that. I like that main dish. But I also know this. This other appetizer has a sauce. And if I can take that, put that there. I can also take the starch from this thing and put it on there, and then, um, and she just starts putting these things together, and she's like the five lions that make up Voltron, and so she just starts putting this whole thing together, and they form the giant robot, and so, and, and, and then she gets it, you know, and then she tells the guy, like, listen, when you get back there, here's you gotta tell him, you gotta tell him, and then take the sauce and drizzle, don't dump it, get a drizzle, drizzle, 
you know what, bring me some extra drizzle and I'll drizzle too. And so, and they do this whole thing. And that's why a friend of mine says that Carrie is the only person who still cooks when she goes to a restaurant. And so, but here's the thing that I've noted as well, is that it always takes a little longer for her food to get there because it's a special order. And maybe, maybe if you're in the season of waiting, could it be that God is working a special order like he did for this couple and that God is doing something powerful and it's just going to take a little bit of time? You see, if the promise is true that we see in Isaiah chapter 40, when he says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run true and fro and to and fro and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint that maybe the season of waiting that you're in is going to strengthen you for the next season. I love that Genesis chapter 23 tells us uh, how old Sarah was when she died. She was 127 years old when she died. And, uh, and Sarah is the only woman in the Bible that it tells us how old she was. Some people say that's sexist. I think it's polite. When I was growing up, I was told you never ask a woman how old she is. And the Bible seems to follow that same pattern. But um, Sarah was 90 years old when Isaac was born, and she lived another 37 years. And that means this. That means that she experienced the joy of the promise being fulfilled. And she experienced 37 years walking with the fulfillment of the promise, her son. And, 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 and why do I tell you this? It's because of this, to tell you this, that it's not too late. That you don't have to rush things, and you don't have to force things, and you don't have to try to control everything just because you're in the waiting room. And here's why. Because you have a heavenly Father who loves you. You know, my wife and I have had basically one, one rule and one goal as parents, and that is that we want to train our kids to be wise. And the fruit of that wisdom will be this, that we will be the family that laughs the most. And we have, that's the only contest that I want to win is we just want to be the family that laughs the most because we can have this joy that simply comes from God because where there's laughter, there's connection and where there's connection, there's communication and where there's communication, there's joy and where there's deep joy, Jesus is there and that's where it's at. So Monday night, we were having this conversation. We were talking about something that happened a while ago where we were having dinner, and we were just telling stories. And if, um, if, you, know, if you want to know what my life at home is like, you've, you experience it every week. We tell stories, funny things happen, and we, no one ever forgets it. And it comes up at different moments. And um, So I was telling this, my kids the story about going to a fabric store with my mom when I was about seven years old. And... Um, Xander was laughing so hard that what he was drinking, uh, water or lemonade or something, but it shot out of his nose. And, uh, and he was choking. He was laughing so hard. And Mia says, uh, did dad catch you at a bad time? And um, a few minutes later, we're telling another story. And Mia starts laughing. And, um, and she just starts laughing so hard. She starts choking. And, um, and Livy's like, hey, I, did dad catch you at a bad time? And then... Later, on, later at dinner, Livy starts laughing, just coughs up some water, and Xander says, hey, did Dad catch you at a bad time? And that now has become, just that line, did Dad catch you at a bad time, has become a joke in our house. And my wife and I are sitting there watching these kids laugh, um, laugh so hard until they start coughing, and, and we're just amazed because we remember waiting for 10 years for our first to be born. And it was just her and I at the dining room table for a really, really long time. And there were moments that we didn't know if it was ever going to be anybody but us at the dining room table. And now every night, we have dinner together, and we just talk together and laugh together and enjoy the blessing together. And the thing that I want you to understand and... and um, and maybe think through, even as you walk through the rest of your, your week, is that the blessing of God is never just for you. When God blesses your life, that blessing just kind of starts blessing everybody around you. And this is why family is so powerful. That's why laughter is so powerful. It's, it's the kind of joy that Jesus invites us into. And so God invites us, and the way he does that is he invites us to be part of his family. Because everything we're supposed to learn should happen within the context of family. Our family at home, we're here with God's family. And if you're like me, 
and you grew up in a broken home, or maybe you grew up without one of your parents or without both of your parents, I want you to know that that was not the design. The design was for you to grow up in a home with two parents who loved each other deeply and showered you with love so you never had to be confused about life's meaning or about your worth or value. You see, being part of a family has changed me in ways that nothing else ever could. And no matter what your home life was like or not like, God invites you and me to be part of his family. To be part of his family, and if you didn't have a dad, then he's going to be your heavenly father. And even if you did have a dad, he's going to be everything that your heavenly father wasn't, that your earthly father wasn't. And see, he invites us to be part of his family, and the first thing that he does is that he forgives us. And he takes the past and he deals with it. And after he takes the, the past and he deals with it, he sets our present on a different course so that our future can take on a new path. And listen, the point is, is that he loves you and that he wants to transform your life if you're willing. So I'm going to invite all of us to stand, if you would, in these last closing moments. Because I really believe that this can be our moment. The moment where we decide to do what the writer of Hebrews said and that we are going to start using some faith. And that faith is this. We said that it is confidence enough to act or to step out. And that maybe this is our moment to exercise some faith. Our moment where we say, I'm going to say yes to Jesus. I'm going to say yes to God's family. I'm going to say yes to God's forgiveness. I'm going to say yes to God putting the past in the past and getting rid of guilt and shame and saying yes to the grace of God and the mercy of God and the future that God has for me. That this becomes the moment in the context of God's people and in the context of God's family that everything begins to change because that's how it was designed to happen. And so in a moment, the band is going to begin to sing and when they do, here's what I'm going to invite you to do. I'm going to invite you to exercise some faith that from wherever it is that you're standing, either in the auditorium or out in the lobby, I'm going to invite you to take a step in God's direction and meet me here at the base of this stage and we're going to pray together we're going to call out to God together and this is going to be the moment where everything began to change and where God began to transform your life and all of it happened within the context of family because you have a heavenly father who loves you and a savior who died for you and he wants to transform your life if you're willing so if you're ready and you say pastor that's me then I'm going to invite you from wherever you're standing. Meet me here. And let's watch God do what only he can do in your life. So if you're ready, take a step. George, lead us. listen, here's what I know, is that there might be 
Some of you that are in your seats and you're saying, you know, I'm really supposed to be up there. But you know what? Whatever they do there and pray, I'm just going to pray too. Listen, maybe this is your moment. Instead of just saying, hey, I'm going to follow, but at a distance, I'm going to get real serious. And I'm going to take Jesus seriously because I know that I take my future seriously. Jesus took my past and my sins seriously. And that he wants to transform my present right now. So listen, if you're saying, I need to be up there, and I know some of you came invited by friends or family, if you attend here and you brought somebody, just turn to them and say, hey, if you want to go up, I'll go up with you. And that this can be the moment that transforms and changes everything. I mean, because what's the alternative? To drive home and say, you know, I should have been up there, I should have watched God do this, this work in me. And it's just one more regret. Listen, maybe today's the day to just let go of all the regrets just do the thing that God is calling us to. I'm not going to ask the band to play again. It's just, But if this is your moment, I'm going to give you one more second before I pray with these precious people. All right, church, let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you so much. Thank you for every person who's come forward, who's ready for you to do a work in and through them. And so, Lord, I pray that as they call out to you, that you would hear from heaven and that you would begin the work of transforming their lives from the inside out. Listen, those of you that have come forward, I want to invite you to repeat this prayer. It's not a magic formula. They might be my words, but I pray that they would express your heart to God in this moment. In fact, we're all going to pray it out loud together. Just say, Dear God, I come to you today and I'm sorry. For all I've done wrong, but I thank you for Jesus who died for me that I might have life. I want to walk with you starting right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.